5KA DJ Jim Slade takes to the airwaves with the big top 50 sound. I used to rush home, 4 o'clock, to hear the top 50 countdown. Hold tight. And away we go. With Mr. Georgie Fame. No one's got a voice like Jim. Coming up to 13 minutes after 6 at Radio City 5KA. In the 60s, Adelaide disc jockey Jim Slade ruled the airwaves. We had the best music, we had all the stars coming here. We met the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, Gene Pitney, Roy Orbison. We met all of these people and Adelaide was rocking. You know, I had a fan club and you had to look after your fans. 1967, yes, guess that was part of the deal. And in return, fans like Bernadette Duggan, wherever she is, made up albums dedicated to her radio idol. Everything is, my whole history is contained in there. She's gone to a lot of trouble. Jim Slade joins me now. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Paul. Lovely to talk with you. And uh, as our introduction said, uh, you had your own fan club uh, back in the <laughs> 60s. It, it, it was an incredible time for DJs, wasn't it? So different to now. Completely different to now. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. It, it was a wonderful time. We, we had freedom. Uh, if you had ideas and you could implement those ideas, um, Erica uh, Ferrari, who was my fan club president, um, was just a wonderful. And they, they helped so much in the way in which they talked to people and, and got messages back to me about what, what they feel about the, about the fan club. And, and we listened to the people that, that spoke to people like Erica. Jim, did you ever get a big head? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, 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 maybe the opposite, and I'm not saying that for any other reason other than the fact that I, I don't believe I, I have had a big head. I try not to. I try to avoid that part of my life. No, I, I have to say, in all my dealings with you, you've been a very humble person. Okay, look, you you were huge as a DJ. You were one of the biggest uh, radio announcers in Australia in those days. Uh, before we get to the people that you've met, I want to find out a little bit about Jim Slade. Let's go right back to the childhood. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? And and uh, what, were you, what were your earliest influences to, to turn you out the person you are today? Well, Paul, I was born in Adelaide, a colonel I got as an actual fact. But, but I started listening to the radio when I was about seven. And I, I used to love, my mother always had the radio on, Wedding Hill Marys and plays like that. Uh, she used to listen to all, all of the time. And I got used to listening to the radio and I began to, began to love it. I, I just found that uh, there was something, that, communication, and it's still there today. You, you still find that radio still grabs people's attention. And uh, I, I just had a wonderful time. Who were your parents? Well, my mother, uh, Gertrude Slade, <laughs> she, was, she was wonderful. She actually worked at Meyer. And um, my father, well, my father's name is Meldrum. And I've never quite straightened out whether I was part of the Meldrum family or not. Um, I, I haven't actually approached Molly in any way. Oh, right. Um, uh, I, I, I haven't tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, are we related? But uh, it, it was a, a name that I've, that I've lived with. And uh, I, I, I didn't use the name. My mother was divorced when I was about two. I never sort of, even after I found out there was a connection between the Meldrums, I didn't follow it through. So you could have been Jim Meldrum. James Meldrum, yes. James, I'm sorry, James Meldrum. Well, I'm only saying it like that because my, my, 
I was called James instead of Jim. And once I, my my, my uh, uncle was the director of public buildings in Adelaide, and he his name was Jim Slade, and I was named after him. Wow. And look, um, so those early days, I must admit, just like you, I listened to my little nipper radio when I was growing up. And those radio announcers to me were like, well, they were like gods. Oh, they were. They, they really were. And you know, there were so many things happening, uh, Paul, around that time. I mean, Saturday, Saturday mornings, I used to uh, go into 5KA in Adelaide and... Uh, they had uh, a, a live kid show. In fact, it was Willie Wheaties. Um, <laughs> Willie Wheaties. <laughs> yes. Um, and he used to compare the show. It was, again, I, I, I had to go in there every Saturday morning. It was just part of my, uh, my, my outlook. I, I couldn't miss that. I, I, became, I had the love of radio and comparing and uh, it was just wonderful. Do you know that you, you and I, I, don't re- I didn't realise just how much you and I, we, we're parallel, although we're kind of slightly different eras. We did very similar things. I used to go into 2GB in Sydney to be on, uh, be part of the Coca-Cola Bottlers Club. Which, I heard of that. Yes, which was hosted by Ross Higgins. Ross Higgins, of course, he came out later in Kingswood country. So those early days, they, I mean, they, they really moulded us as it moulded you, Jim. They're very strong. The, the similar, similarity there was, uh, was really strong. I didn't realise that, Paul. Okay, you're a young man and you're going into this 5KA kids shows situation. When did you decide, look... Um, I'm 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 not going to become you know a plumber or a carpenter or I'm not going to to work in a factory. I'm going to be on radio. Did you make that conscious decision? I, I was just drawn to it, and you you would understand fully what what I mean, um, because in a in a similar way you you were drawn to radio yourself. Jim, we had the same bug. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, the, the the bug bit me and it bit you. And so uh, how did you go about bringing your dreams to reality? Well, it's a funny story because, um, and it is, it is funny. I was I started out life as a telegram boy. Jim, yeah. guess what I did? I started off as a telegram boy at Reevesby in Sydney. Why don't we just swap the microphones and swap the tape, please? <laughs> He <laughs> was. This is. I mean, you and I have spoken for hours and hours, just personally and privately, and I didn't realise that. Yes, I was a telegram boy. Anyway, go on with your story. When I became a, a telegram boy, I, the reason I did take that on uh, was that telegram boys used to work night times, and that's at ten o'clock at night till four in the morning. And I rather liked that time, that time of the, of the day uh, or night, whichever way you're looking at it. And so I decided that's for me. I, I like the idea of being up at this time of the morning. So I then uh, applied for, and I and that's right. I, and when I went to my boss at the time, and at that stage I was doing clerical type work with the, the old post office uniform, and I said to my boss, I said, I want to transfer. And he said, well, where, where do you want to transfer to? And I said, well, I want to go on the bikes. And he said, you what? <laughs> he said, you've got a chance of becoming very important in, in, in this particular field. I said, no, I've got to go on the bikes. I like it. I like it. So I I became a telegram boy, and I just loved the the freedom, I think. Look, if you've ever ridden around Adelaide at uh, 2 or 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, it it can be eerie, but it's also very, very interesting. It is. And 
Oh, it, and the things that you see are those, not not, the, not anything that that's um, untoward, but it's just the unusual time of the day. The day. And uh, I just I just loved. Uh, I think I liked the fact that I was free. Um, I could do virtually what I wanted to do. I, I never stepped out of line. To, to have that freedom, and of course they were red bikes and they had PMG written on them. Didn't Yes, they did. Absolutely fantastic. So, okay, you worked as a telegram boy, so we still haven't got into radio yet. What's your next move? I then decided I had a rather unfortunate stepfather. Uh, he was unfortunate because he was a bit of a bastard and uh, he built me up a couple of times. And so I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure you de- never do this again. So I joined the police force. Ah. <laughs> I became a junior p- police officer. That All that uh, nastiness uh, went away then, of course, because I had the, the old uh, police hat, <laughs> uniform, and that sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> he, he wasn't going to belt up a cop. No way. Oh, he was a coward. But um, <laughs> it, was, it was just one of those funny things, and I've never told the story before. Um, but uh, that, that's the, the, the reason why I did go into the uh, into the police force, and and I, I loved it. Uh, I had I had a wonderful time there, and uh, I finished up being going to Locks and I travelled around a fair bit. Jim, so you're a police officer now. Uh, of course, talking over the police radio, here is the budding Jim Slade talking on the police radio, right? So you should mention that because that was <laughs> one thing that actually happened. Uh, there was a bit of a joke around the around the police station in Anger Street uh, about me um, talking to the, the radio cars, and uh, and as a matter of fact, when, when I was in the radio room, um, I then uh, secured this job uh, on Five DN in Adelaide. But before that, or as, as as that was actually taking place, one of the the inspectors heard me one morning on the on the police radio and uh, rang the, the station and said, well, you congratulate that young man who just read the radio news. And they said, I'm sorry, sir, he leaves to go to 5DN tomorrow. I applied for a, a job there, and Merv Thomas was the program director at the time. He's no longer with us, of course. I, I, I just loved everything to do with radio, whether it was radio, anything to do with broadcasting, I just loved. And I started up being a turntable operator. So being a panel operator? Yeah, that, that's how I actually started at 5DN. And once I learned that skill, I only took, I just loved doing it. So um, once once I had developed that particular skill, um, as far as I was concerned, I was away. I used to play the, the ads and things like that on radio for the announcer who was on duty. But when I, when I dis, when they decided to put me on, on radio, on, on, on air, I said, well, look, yeah, but I want to do everything. I don't want to, have somebody playing records for me and ads for me, I would do the whole lot myself. That would have been a breakthrough in radio because up until that time, panel operators were just part of the gig. And for you Correct. and for you to be the announcer doing that, I mean, I, I do all my own panelling and always have, but up until those sort of days, oh, gee whiz, you need a panel operator. But I know what you're talking about because when you're doing a show, it's nice to be able to time those songs in exactly when you want to put them in and, and, and it creates a better show, I think. Oh, yes. It's it's tighter, um, and, and you you do you if you want to fade the record down uh, at a particular point, you can do it yourself. You don't have to uh, uh, get anyone to to come in and, and do it for you. 
You do the whole lot yourself. So what happened at 5DN and was it a good grounding for what you did in later years? Oh, it was excellent because they virtually gave you the full control over my program. And uh, we, we, we got some very, very good ratings. Um, I was very, very happy there. Uh, people that would remember probably Mel Cameron, uh, people like that. Mel was, uh, was the morning women's announcer then. Uh, I panelled for him. And eventually I took, I think I took over Mel's slots. I took over a lot of slots because I did drive time. The, the, the slots that I liked, I was able to do. And uh, I, as I say, I just loved every minute of it. The, 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 the excitement of radio, well, it's not just excitement, but it, it's the, 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 the way in which you can communicate thoughts and, uh, and that on radio, it, it's just totally different to, uh, to television or anything like that. Well, I was told something in the very early days of when I did radio. Someone once said to me, and uh, it, it's, a, it's been around for a lot of years, this phrase, but radio is the theatre of the mind. I've heard that, and it's, it is so true because, it, yeah, that, that's very true. Theatre of the mind is a very good description because that's exactly what it is. You're creating pictures, films, you create whatever you want in your, in your mind. You can, you can actually have the charge of the light brigade in the studio for a few cents. It's <laughs> true. It's true. You can create anything on radio. That that's what I love about it. Okay, so you're at Five DN. You're going very, very well. Uh, but you didn't stay at Five DN, did you? No, I I, I, I was at Five DN for five years. I think Five DN changed their musical policy, and I was a rock and roll disc jockey at the time. And they decided to change it to Middle of the Road, in, in keeping with Mel Cameron and people like that. So I went across there to, to I, I went across to middle of the road music, not liking it at all, but loving radio. The decision was made for me by Five Ka. Vaughan Harvey uh, interviewed me. He he rang me one day while I was on while I was at the station, and said, "I'd like to meet with you, Jim." Now look, he said, "We can't. We seem to be talking. Uh, we were in Weymouth Street, as I remember." And uh, he picked me up from uh, the coffee shop there, and. Uh, as he picked me up, he said, now, look, we'll have to keep this to ourselves. And he was so, so, I mean, I knew why I was going down there. He was going to talk about a job. But um, he, he kept it so secret. But he was a lovely bloke, the old Vaughan. Uh, Vaughan was magic. And here's, an, here's some more parallels with you and me. You ready for this? Yes. Vaughan Harvey offered me a job, my first job at 5KA. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh it continues on. Anyway, so Vaughan Harvey meets you in secret and says what? As I remember, we pulled up down the end of Weymouth Street. I have to hopped out of the car. He said, you know, hop in. And we started to talk. And uh, he said, look, he said, uh, we'd like to have you at 5KA. He said, but uh, look, he said, what, what, what do you think of working with us? And I just sort of hummed and hard. He said, look, he said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll send you to London. That was probably the best offer I'd ever been made because at that stage, people, people probably don't realise it, but there wasn't a lot of money in radio, not back in those days. A trip to England, which, and, and I loved it. I was there for two weeks. Uh, yeah, I was in London for two weeks. It was a good gig, there's no doubt about it. Nowadays, they talk in the millions for radio stars. <laughs> they do, don't they? <laughs> they do. So, so the trip to London was uh, a little bit of a, a little payment, you know, like uh, we'll, we'll give you a trip to London in lieu of a huge paycheck. For, for you to say, yes, you'll come across with us. Ah. And, uh, <laughs> that's what, and 
the funny this this changing of music the, the change of the musical format uh, also followed me from 5KA to to Melbourne uh, because I was at 5KA and again they changed the musical format and I spoke to a friend of mine at 3DB and he said we're looking for someone at the moment Jim come over so I went across to Melbourne and uh, I was at 3DB for about four years five years. And uh, and loved it again. In fact, I've only just started taking a corresponding with somebody at the moment from uh, from 3DB. Oh and wow! It, 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 it's a small world. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but it was at 5KA that you met and uh, interviewed the Beatles. Yes. Yep. Um, I'll never forget that. In fact, I've, I've got a photograph of the uh, the Beatles walking along uh, King William Street, uh, just near the South Australian Hotel. It, and actually, that, that was that was a great uh, a great story too. Because when we arrived in uh, when they arrived in Adelaide and we all got together at the, the South Australian Hotel, we started to talk to them individually, walking along King William Street. I started to talk to George Harrison, and uh, George said to me, "He said you got us at the old price, didn't you?" And I will never forget that because the, the old price was the first price they were offered, which I think was seven thousand dollars. So their their first price they were they they were negotiated down downward and I think the the price ended up from seven thousand down to about five thousand. So what happened was I I guess uh, Adelaide or the promoter in Adelaide had booked them when they weren't super duper you know when they weren't going through the roof and then suddenly Correct. they've become the Beatles and uh, Adelaide's got them at the old price <laughs> five thousand. And that, that was the one comment, George. In fact, George was, didn't speak very much. He uh, was quite a recluse, but he uh, he had a dry sense of humour. And uh, I'll never forget listening to him when he, when he said, oh, you got it at the old price, didn't you? And, yeah, because Jimmy Nicol had to join the group here in Adelaide uh, because Ringo was sick. That's um, right. That's right. And, and uh, Jimmy Nicol... When, when they were starting to walk along and to, to wave to the people going past the town hall, Jimmy Nicol, because he'd only just joined them temporarily, uh, was hanging back a bit. And Paul McCartney said, come on, Jimmy, come on. He said, you're one of us now, come on. And <laughs> then, then gradually everyone got together and I started to, to really ham it up. I think a lot of people forget that Ringo didn't come in that early part, that, uh, that Jimmy Nicol was, you know, he's kind of known as the fifth Beatle, isn't he? Well, he was the fifth Beatle, and do you know, Paul, I've found that uh, recently I've tried to contact Jimmy in, in London, and I spoke to his son um, about a year ago, and uh, I said, look, I want to talk to you, your dad, because I interviewed him when the Beatles were here, and he said, Jim, he said, he's become a recluse. And I thought that was so sad. But if you think about it, they received the accolades and the money and Jimmy Nicol, I think he was paid a couple of thousand dollars, which was not bad, but compared to what happened afterwards, I guess it wasn't. Well, well, well no, I don't, think, I don't think he would have had any expectations, but maybe the, it, it could have been dressed up a bit more. I don't know enough, enough about that story to comment. I've heard stories, Jim, that Jimmy Nicol was a better drummer than Ringo. I'd heard that too, and I'm, I'm not a muso, so I can't comment, mm. but I had heard that story too. So, okay, you've met the Beatles, uh, you've met people like Roy Orbison. Um, what's, uh, what's an interview that stood out in your mind, something that you thought, gee whiz, I'm glad I got that? Was it the Beatles or was it something else? Can I tell you two stories? One, the worst interview and the yes. other being the best? Absolutely. 
the worst interview would have been with the interview was Roy Orbison. What? A wonderful man, uh, but he answered every question with two words. So you had to be, you had to have at least a four or five questions, which you should always prepare ahead anyway. But uh, it was just one of those things where Roy just did not talk. He, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it was embarrassment, but he was a lovely bloke. He was shy, I reckon. Yeah, probably that's about the best description to say he was shy. So um, the best interview you've ever had? There, I have two favourite inter- interviews. One was Gene Pitney and the other was Dusty Springfield. I was, I was with them for a fair bit of the time that they were in Adelaide. And I reckon they had a thing going. I was just going to say to you that the stories I've heard is uh, Dusty and Gene had a thing. They definitely had a thing. Yeah, well, I'm glad you heard that because that's what I, just in body language. (laughs) Oh, dear. There was certainly a lot of body language. (laughs) Yes. Oh, dear. Anyway, Um, they were your two favourites. Tell me why. Dusty, because she she just had beautifully attired, hair immaculate. Jean Pitney, because he just, he was a wonderful writer. Um, In fact, I can remember when I went to London... Um, I'd already interviewed Gene, but when I interviewed him in London, I said, uh, the interview started with Gene, look, you won't remember this, but I interviewed you in Adelaide. He said, yeah, man, he said, that little room at the airport. And I thought, my God, he remembered. (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? I've got to say one of my favourite interviews of all time is with Gene Pitney also. I've I've got a lovely black and white photo of Gene and I sitting in, in the seats at the Adelaide Festival Centre, the theatre there, and uh, he's in a pair of shorts and him and I, <laughs> yeah, he's in a pair of shorts and him and I, and we look so happy with what's going on. And we were, we just had this most fantastic interview. Wasn't he a gentleman? You, you could never forget. In fact, it was it was quite obvious that he and, and Dusty were, were together, but it's obvious from their attitudes. They're, they're both professional people, but also lovely people to, to go with it. Um, in fact, you know, in all the people I've interviewed, I can't think of one interview, and I'm talking mainly 60s and 70s, I can't think of one interview where I've said afterward, gee, that's a, that was a lousy interview, or what a terrible person. That I can't remember one instance where I, I felt that way. Isn't um, that fantastic? So, Jim, uh, you've interviewed some of the biggest names in showbiz. So... During that time, as I mentioned earlier, uh, radio DJs uh, like you and right around Australia were like gods. I mean, I remember growing up, uh, my Jim Slade was actually Ward Pally Austin in Sydney. Oh, yes. Now, we, I used to listen to him. He, to me, he was a god. He was this guy talking on the radio and he, yep. was, he was amazing. And I used to go up to 2UW, uh, up to the studio. They, they yep. en- enable people to go up to the studio and watch Ward Austin working through the glass there. And he always came on around about 4.30 and went through till about 7 o'clock. And you'd watch him work. And I used to watch him for hours. I just wouldn't go home. I'd go from school into town and then uh, get home at all hours of the, the night. And mum would say, you, you've gone to see Ward Pally Austin again. And uh, I used to watch him. And I finally met him at a party, probably only a couple of years before he passed away. And when I met him... He was the nicest man, and I remember saying to him at the time, 
Ward, I'm so glad you're nice that you're not a bastard, you know, um, uh, because, you know, the, the old bubble would have burst. You were one of my childhood radio heroes and uh, you, you're such a nice man. And he was a lovely man. And so, you know, you really kind of adored these radio announcers. I mean, the fans. Is there any fans that uh, took it a bit too far? No, but I just remembered an instance where I was actually interviewed by my god, John Laws. Oh, okay. Uh, he was with the, the same uh, Macquarie. I think it was Macquarie. Yes. And uh, he uh, he said to Curtis Crawford, I think it was, he said, uh, I'd like to interview Jim. <laughs> I got me inside. I said, Laws, want to interview me? <laughs> and it did. Oh, yeah, I, I was just gobsmacked. And I can't tell you, to this day, I wouldn't have the faintest idea what we spoke about. <laughs> oh, dear. But so, you know, we, we've all had these moments that we'll never forget. But as I say, in this instance, I, I, I just forget the content. Okay, so what finally happened for you to leave radio full time? I went interstate to 3DB, a couple of one wife. Um, <laughs> um, we've all, hey, Jim, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, you're, you are right. What caused me to leave radio? I think it was um, one. It would have been a change of musical policy, and two. Uh, I think personal life came into it at that particular stage. Okay. Well, we won't go into that because that's your private business, Jim. You started a Jim Slade's Baby Boomers Rock Adelaide. Just a a, a wonderful get together. I was at your first one, if you'll remember, way back when. Uh, we were at the Piccadilly Cinema at North Adelaide and a big roll-up of people. Why was it important that you started that? It gave the chance to people that maybe had not been on stage before of getting out there in front of people. And uh, and that's important. You've got, you've got to get out and, and talk to people and perform in front of them if you want to make it in, in the music business. It's funny, when I decided to, uh, to do this show, uh, quite a few people were saying, it'll never work. Seven years down the track, <laughs> and it also gave the opportunity for performers who maybe are not getting a chance to uh, be in yeah. the spotlight uh, these days as much. An opportunity to perform to people who grew up with them. It was the soundtrack of their life. Very well put, Paul. That's exactly the, the way it turned out, and it was quite satisfying. Yet there's nothing better than finishing a show and seeing the people's faces who really enjoyed it and they did they, they, they loved the show and uh, that was important the, the result was looking at those very happy faces of people that that enjoyed themselves enjoyed the show and talked about it that was important to me and i know it was important to them and I know that you sat down with, with performers, uh, not only live at the venue, wherever it happened to be, but also talked to people on Zoom as well. So you interviewed some amazing people on that, didn't you? Oh, and I, I love talking to people. I've interviewed people that I never dreamed I could interview, but I did. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful, satisfying feeling that you're bringing out in people things that normally you wouldn't know about. With the people that you interviewed with the uh, Baby Boomers Rock Adelaide, is there anybody that you really enjoyed talking to? Paul Macon was one. <laughs> yeah, but me, well, m me aside. 
You interviewed quite a lot of people, but I can remember one that's no longer with us. In fact, he only died recently, and that was Robbie G. Robbie Porter. Yes, yes. I uh, we, we we had a few little terse um, words, uh, Robbie and I. Oh, you had uh, a couple of terse words, did you? Yes, we did. Um, and it was only because I thought, in some cases, the, the, the truth was being stretched somewhat. But uh, <laughs> exactly. Th- so he was telling a few porky pies, you reckon? Well, as I say, the, the, the truth was stretched somewhat. Oh, right. I, 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 I did it. Look, I still enjoyed Robbie G's music. I loved his, his music from the time when he when he was just playing guitar and then then started doing some vocals. He he was just a, a nice bloke. I saw him at the uh, at his uh, where he was staying. And uh, but but as I say, we 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 didn't have the the friendliest of of beings. Okay, but that's fine. Glenn Shorrock, what oh. a what a oh, what a talent. Glenn Shorrock, the Little River Band. Yes. Yeah, he he was just superb. Uh, whether he's on stage, whether you're backstage talking, doesn't matter. And he's a down to earth, really nice guy. Um, and I've, you know, Paul, I found that that's the case in a lot of people artists that that, that I've interviewed. They they don't have the big head, although they, it appears they do. But down deep, no, they don't. They don't. They're just nice people who love music and love doing what they love to do. Yeah, Glenn Shorrock, a great artist, and of course was in a quite a number of bands. To, to pick out two, one or two people is pretty difficult because we we have got talented. I, I don't think we still appreciate how much talent we've got here in South Australia. Look, the baby boomers, uh, we're into reminiscing, aren't we? And that's what it's all about, reminiscing uh, of those days when we were growing up and we were hearing the Glenn Shorricks, we were hearing the Robbie, Robbie G's, we were hearing all of those artists. Yes, we were. And, that's true. and, and even John Farnham, another guy who was one of the nicest you could ever meet, but very, very talented. In fact, I was only listening to a, an introduction to, to John the other day Anyway, this particular conversation was going on and somebody said, here's a new record by a new artist called John Farnham. And uh, somebody said, well, yeah, what's the name of the song? Sadie the Cleaning Lady. What? You're not going to play that. It only made it to number one, made it to the top selling record of all time. uh, And John Farnham at his concerts now... Uh, he he has a little bit of fun with Sadie. He'll he'll play yeah. it. He'll sing a couple of notes of it and has a bit of fun. Um, I've spoken to John about that, and a lot of uh, people have written up that he hates the song now because you know it's so different to the work that he did. But in actual fact, John Farnham says he loves Sadie. It was so special to him. And uh, if people write up the fact that he doesn't like the song, that is absolute BS. It's showbiz. It's showbiz. <laughs> it's showbiz. It really is. But um, as you look back on your career now, I guess the the question I'll ask you is, when you finally leave this coil, you leave, we all pass away, we all go to that, uh, you know, big radio studio in the sky. What would you like to be best remembered for? I think what I'd like to be best remembered for is the fact that I've been, I was the luckiest person in the world. The people I met were my idols and I actually interviewed them. Um, and I feel blessed with the fact that I was able to do that. As you listen to radio these days, do you look at it, um, you know, saying uh, it's not the same or it had to change, or how do you see radio now? I think it needs to be rearranged somewhat. Oh, okay. Um, 
I think the, the talkback side of it, I do enjoy some very good talkback announcers. I won't stay with them all the time, but I'll, I'll stay for a while. But, but I guess because a lot of it's not to do with my, my favourite uh, music. Uh, I, I guess we come back to our favourites. I, I mean, I love the era from 50s, 60s, 70s. I, I do remember just recently somebody texted me and said, love the, uh, what you're, you're talking about, Jim, um, but don't forget there is another life as well uh, after the 50s and 60s. And I thought, yeah, I probably do labour that a bit. I look at radio now and it's changed, but then again, I, I, you know, I saw the golden years as you saw the golden years of radio. Even before our time, there was golden years of radio. The serials that that you and I would have grown up with, the radio serials, uh, they don't exist in, in anything now, but the serials were theatre of the mind once again and so all of those radio from the 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s and i guess it started to change in the 80s didn't it yes yeah i would agree with that yeah and and what we have now of course is very different we have uh, not so much radio announcers as comedians uh doing yes. breakfast shows and drive time shows and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that uh because there is a huge audience for that but we'll never ever ever forget i won't anyway and i'm sure you won't those great days of radio no that that will never change uh in in our minds um it, it's something that uh well, we were brought up on this. So this is what we, we loved. And uh, it was just an important part of the folk, to me, the most important part of my life. And mine as well. I mean, it, it radio to me was just a gift. Like you said, it was a gift. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so many times I've thought about how lucky I've been. And now listening to what you've said to say, same thing. How lucky you've been to, to be in the right place at the right time. And to meet the people that we idolised. Um, you mentioned Pat Ward, Pally Austin, um, Lawsy. And both of those, as I remember, Paul, both of those um, disc jockeys were criticised for being rude and arrogant. I never felt, Laws was never arrogant or rude to me. And I don't think Pally would, would have been rude to you. Yeah, well, you know, as we know, people on air have a shtick. It's like a bit. It's a bit like Kyle Sanderlands now. Kyle Sanderlands has uh, this shtick that earns him millions of dollars, and that's uh, that's his that's his act. That's what he does on the radio. And if you don't want him, there's a very easy way to to get rid of somebody on radio. You just go to a dial and you go. Yep. take it off <laughs> <laughs> anyway oh. they'll probably be taking us off in a sec Jim thank you for talking with me it was lovely to capture some of your life it's just been an honour and a privilege to talk with, with somebody of your calibre thank you Paul but it was, it, I, I've learned so much about you that I didn't know and there are parallels that I never believed <laughs> to you, apply to you and I be safe and enjoy your life Thank you, Paul.